What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Despite the often repeated rhetoric of Dana Simas, a spokesperson for the California Department of Corrections, that there is no solitary confinement practice in California prisons, we know that hundreds of incarcerated people spend days, months, and sometimes even years in what they call security housing units or the SHU. We also know from psychologists and medical professionals that solitary confinement causes a myriad of both physical and mental health issues, much of which cannot be reversed. And even the United Nations has identified solitary confinement as torture. A bill was introduced uh, last legislative session by Assemblymember Chris Holden that would limit the conditions under which someone could be placed in solitary confinement, but it wasn't signed by the governor. Holden has reintroduced a bill called the California Mandela Act, and he joins us this morning to discuss. Good morning, Assemblymember Holden. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We are also joined by Jack Morris, who spent 40 years in prison in California, the majority of that time in security housing units or shoes. Uh, He was part of the historic prisoner hunger strikes in 2013 that led to a federal class action lawsuit on behalf of prisoners held in solitary confinement at California's Pelican Bay State Prison. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good morning. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Assemblymember Holden, I want to start with you. I'm actually interested first in how the issue of solitary confinement landed on your radar. Well, you know, we know that there have been uh, organizations that have been leading the charge for many years to try to address the issue of solitary confinement. And as you just alluded to, the lawsuits that were filed. So it is a real issue. And as we look at California in so many ways as being a leader uh, and so many different areas of society and in being very progressive in how we conduct our policies and how we treat our people, that it just seems um, inconsistent to have a policy that's in place uh, which allows for uh, the correctional system to put an individual into solitary confinement for an extended period of time, as you've alluded to, uh, sometimes more up to 23 hours a day locking people into a, uh, a cage the size of a king-size bed uh, it can be extremely damaging physically and mentally and, quite frankly, emotionally. And the testimonies that we've heard uh, last year when we had our, our initial bill that we put forward um, was really very convincing um, that these are real-life examples of how Uh, denying a person contact with other people, uh, having them uh, in uh, a confined environment, uh, separated uh, for extended periods of time uh, for weeks, months, if not years, has uh, has been defined by the uh, United Nations and others as pure and simple torture. And inspired, quite frankly, by um, Nelson Mandela, Uh, where he spent six of his 27 years in prison in solitary confinement, Uh, we thought that this was an appropriate way to uh, identify this bill, along with the uh, Nelson Mandela rules, which the United Nations had put forward, uh, to gain additional focus to this very important issue. Walk us through, Assemblymember Holden, what the California Mandela Act would do. Well, it would uh, define solitary confinement 
uh, as being in a cell for more than 17 hours per day. Uh, it would prohibit the use of solitary confinement on certain people, including those who are pregnant, which, quite frankly, it was hard to believe that some of these categories of people were actually being thrown into solitary confinement. Um, but if you're pregnant, seriously disabled, under uh, the age of 25 or over the age of 60 years old, uh, limits the use of solitary confinement to 15 consecutive days or 45 days total in a 180-day period. And so what we basically did was take what was in the Mandela Rules, which was established by the United Nations, and applied that to this bill. And, and that's essentially laying out the foundations and the fundamentals of it. And uh, we're very hopeful that this time around we'll, we'll be successful at getting this bill uh, approved and signed by the governor. And I, I, I'm going to uh, ask you about uh, where Governor Newsom was sitting on this. The bill um, would also require facilities to keep clear records on the use of solitary confinement, correct? Are records not currently kept? Yeah, no, this would actually give us, give keeping the records, making sure that there's clear understanding who is in solitary confinement for how long they've been in solitary confinement. Um, we also think it's important uh, that this bill is going to look to try to put more focus on uh, rehabilitation, creating opportunities for, um, you know, individuals to have job training opportunities. Uh, there may be the need for uh, solitary confinement. Uh, there are some issues that the, the Department of Correction raised on that issue, and so we've tried to amend the bill in some way to, to, to make sure that there is a opportunity for that. But we think that there are other ways and more productive and, and more humane ways to to um, rehabilitate folks and, and give them an opportunity to, to, you know, not have to be subjected to uh, an environment that creates a destabilization in their mental well-being and their physical. And so we're very hopeful that by keeping uh, the records that there's an opportunity to uh, to be able to monitor more closely uh, how people are being treated and who's actually being handled and how long they've been in solitary confinement and to be able to have a different structure and how we can address it. I want to bring Jack into the conversation. Jack, you were incarcerated for 40 years. How much of that time was spent in solitary confinement? Um, I spent 30 plus years in solitary confinement. I, to tell you, uh, during my entire time of incarceration, I, I would enter into solitary confinement and exit until uh, about 1986. Uh, I was placed in solitary confinement, and I stayed there for the next decades uh, until I was reached as a result of the hunger strikes in uh, 2017. What were the kinds a, of... a combined, combined issue of approximately 30, 35 years. What were the kind of infractions uh, that were used to justify, and I'm saying using just the word justify in air quotes, uh, placing you in solitary confinement? Um, I, I, initially, when I was placed in solitary confinement back in the um, early 80s, uh, I had received a disciplinary act for being involved in a melee on the prison yard. Uh, my status was changed to indeterminate classification and I was to remain in the solitary confinement and I never received another uh, infraction in more than three decades to justify my continued 
uh, placement in that type of situation. Other than being uh, identified as uh, a gang associate and then later a gang member and then associate, I mean, it went back and forth. It was, you know, it, it, there was no clear understanding of what I was to the Department of Corrections because one month I would be an associate, the next month I would be a member. But I stayed like that and in solitary violence for almost four decades. Can you, Jack, uh, and, and I'm sorry if, if um, this, what I'm about to ask you to do is, is triggering, can you paint a picture for my listeners about what the conditions inside of a solitary cell are like? Sure. Uh, first of all, uh, it's all concrete. Um, in Pelican Bay specifically, uh, the cells are, has concrete two-tiered bed, it has a concrete slab to sit on and a concrete slab to write on. And it has a combination stainless steel sink toilet. So if you use the restroom, your sink is also connected to the toilet. If you use the, the washing facilities, your toilet is connected to that. Other than that, you have a light uh, and, uh, that is in the cell. And that's, that's it. There's no, nothing else in that cell. Uh, there's no windows to look out of that cell, uh, so you're literally confined within a windowless concrete box for the duration of the time in which they decide to keep you there. And when I say they, I mean the Department of Corrections. And how did spending 30 years in solitary confinement impact your mental, physical, and emotional health? Wow. You know, a common question I'm asked by many people is, how did you stay uh, sane for as long yeah. as you did in that environment? And I guess the truth of the question, uh, the truth of the answer is, uh, I didn't. You, you don't. Uh, there's no way you could be placed in that type of environment and maintain uh, any uh, mental stability. Uh, you have to and you will suffer some type of mental uh, illness as a result of that. Uh, some are more severe than others. Some call it PTSD. Some call it, you know, hallucinations. Whatever the classification is, once you're placed in a cell that has no uh, visual or sensory uh, stimulation, then you're sensory deprived, you automatically begin to deteriorate. Uh, both physically and mentally. And I spent all those years uh, talking to my shadow, trying to retain my sanity, doing whatever I could. I learned to be an artist. I wrote. I drew. I, you do whatever you can in order to exercise uh, your mind in, in a pattern that's not the same as the day before because uh, that is what happens uh, when most people tend to give up, they start to uh, not concentrate on anything else other than uh, their existence in that environment and they deteriorate. You have to escape it. Uh, Assemblymember Holden, we cover you know issues with the California prison system often on this show and up at, I mean, as recently as a few weeks ago, a spokesperson for CDCR was denying that solitary confinement 
even exists, but you mentioned they're weighing in on your bill. Um, are they your primary opposition? Uh, what What is the engagement with CDCR like? Well, it's it's been very difficult. Uh, we had an opportunity to visit New Folsom uh, last year, and I mean, even the way that the nomenclature and the way that it is described is a lot different. They don't use the term solitary confinement. So if you don't use the term, um, but the practices uh, reflect, then I'm not sure, you know, we're talking past each other. Um, Solitary confinement, you know, they describe it in a way, they don't use the term. And so I guess for them, uh, for the, for the department, uh, they, um, have basically decided that if we're going to move in the direction that we are proposed in this previous bill, uh, most specifically, that the cost of trying to reconfigure the prison, uh, do a lot of things that are totally unnecessary. Uh, We're talking about changing policy and how you treat people as opposed to creating new infrastructure. And I think that you know, we're certainly prepared to work with them and the governor to try to understand how we can get on the same page. And we're, we're, we're really calling this what it is. You know, the old saying, if it walks like a duck and quacks, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Solitary confinement, the amount of time that anyone spends consecutive days in uh, the, uh, a cell as defined by Jack is, is solitary confinement. And for the endless amount of time, and as Jack, who actually lived through this experience, as many others have, uh, it is torture by the United Nations uh, definition, and that is what we're falling under the Mandela rules. So it's a pretty bright line. And wh- however they want to define it, uh, it really comes back to how much time is a person spending consecutive days in that kind of environment without contact with other people, um, and, and to that extent, uh, how many days over 180-day period are they spending? Because if they're going over what has been defined as uh, solitary defi- uh, confinement and thereby, and thereby torture, then change has to happen, and it needed to happen yesterday. Uh, and so we're very um, hopeful and, and engaging once again uh, but we are, you know, very clear uh, that if the world uh, human rights organizations have made it very clear what defines torture, and we have heard testimony from people like Jack and others who have spent time in solitary confinement and have a, have a testimony that says this is the evidence of what I've gone through, define it in other ways you want. It is solitary confinement and thereby it is torture. And this bill is looking to create different rules and standards um, that put it, puts us California in alignment uh, with New York, Colorado, Connecticut, uh, and quite frankly, the United Nations. And I think we, that's what California's used to doing, is being in the forefront of doing what's right, doing what's correct. And this is sort of that opportunity for us to get something right that has been wrong for a very long time. And, and to bolster uh, Assemblymember Holden's position, it's not only those that are confined continuously in those cells like I was that suffer these 
mental uh, issues and physical issues relating to that environment. But so we all understand, those that also work in those environments tend to take leaves as a result of the stress they suffer from just working in. And they get to walk out of there and stay out of there for a period of 16 hours. And it's also mm-hmm. understood that many of the people that work in the institution, in the solitary confinement units, when they retire, many have suicides uh, as a result of that environment and having worked in, those in, in there. So imagine those that can, for a 16-hour period and work in it for an 8-hour period, Imagine the torture and harm it does to those of us that are retained in it 24 mm. hours a day. It is exacerbated mm. and, and exponentially increased upon uh, detrimentally impacting us. Uh, it, it's, it, we learned that solitary confinement was detrimental to the human psyche, mental, physical, spiritual, everything associated with it when uh, they were utilizing it, I, I believe it was in the 1800s when they created these uh, penitentiaries in order to gain penance for assumed or believed crimes of, of humanity or, or laws that were violated. And we knew from back then, military used solitary confinement uh, in order to break down the human spirit. Why is California exercising this practice, and then uh, playing nickel and dime with the terms, we do not have solitary confinement. It's like uh, filing a brief in, in the law, and they ask you to define what the word and stands for. I mean, it's just, you know, when we look at things in reality, we have to do uh, like uh, Assemblymember Holden stated, if it walks and talks like a duck, don't try to blow smoke in my ear. Let's call it a duck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I mean, one of the first things uh, it, during his first term, Governor Gavin Newsom did was put a moratorium on the death penalty, which, crimi- you know, uh, folks that engage in trying to reform the criminal legal system um, saw it as a sign that maybe they were going to have an ally in the governor's office. Uh since then, right, it's been sort of hard to pinpoint uh, exactly where uh, Governor Newsom sits in terms of reforming uh, the criminal legal system. Um, Assemblymember Holden, why do you think he didn't sign the bill, and what makes you think he might sign it this time? Well, I I think one of the concerns the governor had with uh, AB 2632, last year's bill, was it would prohibit the placement of large portions of the incarcerated population in solitary confinement. And, you know, I guess the concern was based on the representation from the department was that it could jeopardize the safety of others in the institution. Um, So this year in AB 280, I make it clear that housing detained or incarcerated people individually is allowed and the bill provides examples of successful transition programs implemented in other states. Um, And I think it's going to be important. And I do believe that the governor, because he's already, as you pointed out, has already uh, indicated an an interest in making sure that there can be reforms appropriately put in place uh, to make these institutions work 
uh, better. Uh, so it's critical uh, that we can develop safe alternatives to solitary confinement because we can't settle for the status quo. Uh, we're going to continue uh, to work with the governor. I believe that uh, notwithstanding his veto of last year, uh, I am optimistic that uh, we will come together in partnership uh, with the legislature. And I must say for my colleagues who took a bold step in t- uh, torture uh, in the bill last year, that it is solitary confinement, I'm confident they'll do it again. And and so it really will be important for us to uh, demonstrate, quite frankly, that this is not a cost generator, but actually a cost saver. Uh, and as Jack pointed out, there are traumas and impacts that go beyond uh, just the, the impact on the prisoners, but also those who are incarcerated, but also the uh, the staff. And I think, I believe that once we have an opportunity to fuller engage with the governor earlier in this process and, and kind of walk through some of the, what we believe are some of the important changes that need to be made directly with him and his staff, uh, that we can find a way uh, to getting to a place where uh, a bill like this can move forward uh, and make the appropriate changes uh, to take away the the detrimental uh, and decomposing impact that a policy like solitary confinement has, uh, as was pointed out, not just on those who have to live through it, but also those who are in that environment. Uh, so I am hopeful. And as the assembly member uh, spoke on, um, the the idea that um, uh, there will be violence as a result of this act uh, allows me to question uh, this line of question uh, or statement by the Department of Corrections. And that when we were doing the hunger strikes in 2011, 2012, 2013, uh, and when we, we finally got some assistance and lawmakers recognize that, hey, why are these people locked in these, in, these cells in ter- indeterminately? They're, they're suffering all the systems that you suffer. Uh, and they, the rhetoric was then, if we open up these cells, uh, there's going to be mayhem within the institutions. My first question was, why would there be mayhem? Do, did all of us that have been locked in these cells for decades have a reason to commit mayhem if the doors are open. But the, the more prominent question was, or, or should be recognized as, when the cells were open, you did not have that. There was not uh, mayhem and violence uh, as predicted. Uh, and in fact, uh, the system started to go into a, a system there where rehabilitation was accessible by all those in the institutions except those level four institutions where uh, they were still being deprived access to rehabilitative programs. And it was not until recently that the Department of Corrections started enacting the the integration of yards that uh, began to uh, develop in negative impacts uh, where they integrated SN1 yards or other yards into general prison population because they ran out of space or whatever their justification was. You have to understand the populations themselves do not 
and don't like violence in their environment. They want to program. They want to do the things that they need to do in order to demonstrate, hey, look, I'm ready for the community. Let me back out. Don't keep me in here to die because of something I've done when I was 10 years old and I'm now 60 years old. I'm not that person no more. But we have to have the support of the community to do that. And the legislators and Mr. Holman is one of those people that are championing the position of change. And it's a bold, bold step when you have uh, a lawmaker step forward and say to a powerful union and organization, we have to change this. It's not right. And I thank him for that. I have uh, just one more question that I'd like uh, both you to weigh in on, uh, and and that is, uh, you know, we've brought up the the prisoner hunger strike from nine years ago when more than thirty thousand uh, incarcerated folks initiated an indefinite hunger strike in response to CDCR's failure to meet their five core demands. Sixty days and one death later, strikers suspended the strike, and California legislators committed to hold public hearings. The demands. In that hunger strike from 2013, included one, end group punishment and administrative abuse. Two, abolish the debriefing policy and modify active inactive gang status criteria. Three, comply with the U.S. Commission on Safety and Abuse in America's Prisons 2006 recommendations regarding an end to long-term solitary confinement. Four, provide adequate and nutritious food. And five, expand and provide constructive programming and privileges for indefinite shoe status inmates. Up until now, this is my question, up until now, have any of those demands been met? Will the Mandela Act meet any of these demands? Uh, And uh, basically I'm asking the relationship, if any, between the hunger strikes and uh, the Mandela Act now. Uh, Assemblymember Holden. Well, in terms of the, the, I heard a few items that you listed in the list of demands that will be addressed uh, under the Mandela Act. Um, And I do believe that, you know, the the fundamentals of what this bill represents is sort of reflective of what those concerns were in terms of military confinement, um, the opportunity to have access to educational information and, and training and job preparing and things that are pro uh, rehabilitation. Uh, and so I think that there are many elements of that in terms of what this bill will capture. There sounds like there are other items that, uh, that were part of those uh, uh, requests that um, I, I can't really speak to because I'm not sure just how far those changes were made within the department uh, to the extent that they still have not been acted upon, then then certainly that should be part of a, of a conversation as well. Assemblymember Holden, I just saw a message that you've got a, a an immediate end at 835. Thank you so much for joining the show. Hope to have you back. Thank you, Kat. Thank you. And, and thank you, Jack. Appreciate you. Thank you, Ms. Holden. I appreciate it. All right, Jack, final words from you. Well, I think... Whatever we do here in the free world, we have to remember that we're doing it for those that are still uh, suffering uh, at the hands of uh, of the Department of Corrections. We have to understand that a lot of the decisions being made in the Department of Corrections are those being made at the top down, and that those that are on the floor are subject to directions on how to implement those. I think if we're going to change the system, 
we have to understand that we have to think in broader terms. We have to be able to ask the people that are incarcerated, how can we change this system uh, in order to allow you an opportunity to demonstrate uh, how much uh, you have changed in order to enter into a community that wants you back home. We want our community members back in our community. And I think That's everybody right. in the community has to be active in implementing and, uh, and, and supporting that goal. Yeah, I, I don't want to change the system. I want to dismantle the whole bleeping thing. But I guess step by step and inch by inch. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much time, for joining right? us. <laughs> yeah, everything at a star. Uh, Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really hope to have you back on the show sooner than later. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. And, and please continue to uh, be the voice uh, of those incarcerated uh, talking to the community. We appreciate it. Anytime and always. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>